Hello there. My name is Stefan Frost, the host of Game Devastation, the podcast you are listening to right now. Just as a heads up, sometimes there are opinions on this show. Sometimes there are curse words on this show. Sometimes I just sob for about 20 minutes. I don't know why people keep listening to it. Anyway, all these things are from me. They're not really representative of the company I work for or previous companies that I've worked for. So just a heads up, then that's about it. Okay, legal disclaimer now over. This episode of Game Devastation is brought to you by Pixel Dynamo. You can find the latest news, reviews, and updates to all the games that you care about. Check out PixelDynamo.com or follow them on Twitter at PixelDynamo for your up-to-the-second news on the games you care about. Also, in a less commercial way, this is a pretty sweet site. So if you haven't checked it out, PixelDynamo.com, go read it. I think I said PixelDynamo.com enough. PixelDynamo.com. Okay, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to Game Devastation. My name is Stefan Frost. I'm the host of the show. And today, I'm also going to be the guest. Um, There are a few people that are coming on the show in a week or two. But it's been a while since I posted one of these. Uh, BlizzCon was not too long ago. So I was kind of getting prepared for that, doing that thing. On top of life stuff, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so uh, I've had a few requests um, via Twitter or what have you of people asking for me to do an episode about my experiences in the video game industry. And uh, so what I'm going to do is treat this show very similarly to how I would normally with, you know, questions that I would ask people, but I'll just kind of talk about it myself. And also, for what it's worth, I normally don't do this where I just talk for an hour by myself normally I, I talk to other people and so I'm going to try to keep this as entertaining as possible and talk about my experiences uh, but bear with me because this is not something I normally do uh, so where did I get my start in the industry uh, this is a question that I often ask people on the show um, for myself it starts a little bit back actually when I was in college uh, I have a bachelor's of arts in communications from california state university long beach and um i took that because i wanted to get out of college as fast as i could uh and that was the best way to do it to be honest with you um uh, it was a very quick uh i think it was like the fastest major that i could have gone in but um it was also a a useful one in that uh, i i knew i wanted to do something in the creative medium but i didn't know what exactly and i figured communications is something that you can kind of just put on a resume and it it works for for everything um but otherwise i studied a lot of uh history stuff with classics and so ancient greece and rome and egypt and things like that just interested me so i took that as well anyway that had nothing to do with anything so uh what i did um was i interned at places um basically did work for free uh, for a long period of time. The first place that I interned was G4 TV. Those of you not familiar with G4, it is a uh, was a channel solely dedicated to video games. Uh, it was on cable. It was kind of far down the list <laughs> with, with, in terms of TV channels. Um, so it was not a you know immensely well funded organization, but you know. It, it, it was always at E3 or they were always at, you know, Gamescom or, you know, whatever. So they were always doing their thing and, and talking about more up-to-date games and all that stuff. And so they had a few shows on there like uh, X-Play, which is the show that I interned on. And 
I was a production intern. So all I did was play games and captured footage for people who were doing reviews of games. So if there was a new Metal Gear Solid coming out, I would play Metal Gear Solid and capture video game footage. And when they were doing the review, they would use that footage as B-roll to kind of talk about the points in their review. Um, so I did that. I also would help out production assistants or uh, producers or you know scout locations or go to locations and help out with whatever was necessary. But this was all unpaid. I did it for about four months or so. It was my last semester in, in college. So I, I did that. Um, and I didn't really know where I was going to go with that, but I knew that I really liked video games. And at the time I had no clue how to get into games. It was one of those, like I would look at EA's websites or uh, I would look at like Blizzard's websites or, or things like that. And I would, I would kind of look at the positions and I'm like, I don't, maybe, maybe I could do that. I don't know. I just, I didn't know what the first step was. Um, so I just went to something that was kind of similar to it, which was, you know, G4. Um, so after that, uh, I, I, the thing that I learned from it, um, and the positive that came from it was I never want to work in TV ever. TV seemed to be, uh, not fun to me. There was a lot of people that were very, uh, political and kind of, um, I don't, they seem to care more about advancing than they did know, releasing a quality product on some things. And that's not everybody. There was a lot of really nice people that worked on there, but there's also a lot of people that I, I kind of thought, man, I never want to work in TV if it's like this. So, um, after that I decided, uh, I was just going to continue doing what I was doing, which is serving tables at restaurants. Uh, and I'd been doing that all throughout college. Uh, and I took uh, another in- internship at a record label and I was there for about at, at vagrant records. And I was there for about eight or nine months or something. So I would drive all the way to LA from Orange County, uh, twice a week, intern there, just not get paid, just do work in the hopes that I would kind of get something like a job at some point based off of that. But after a while I kind of said, you know, eight or nine months of driving out twice a week to LA to not get paid just wasn't really worth the investment. But eventually, uh, I got a, uh, a call from a recruiter at Disney interactive studios. They had a program there where they would take recently uh, graduated students and they would uh, allow them to work there paid uh, for six months as a production assistant and so it was kind of it was viewed as an internship but it was paid Uh, you didn't get insurance or anything like that it was just you worked with um, somebody on the production staff and so I was lucky enough uh, to get that phone call and uh, they said are you interested and I said oh hell yeah however I can get into games I'm I'm in so uh, I talked with a few people and I got hired uh, to work at Disney Interactive Studios. Now, Disney Interactive Studios uh, in Glendale, the, the team that I was on was not developing titles in-house. What they were doing was the publishing part of it. So uh, that would mean that I would take a look at builds that were submitted from people like Konami or THQ or, or things like that and make sure that they were hitting their milestones on what we had kind of listed out so that they would you know, continue to get paid and all that fun stuff. Um, basically, when you're making a game, when somebody like Disney Interactive has the license to Ratatouille or Cars or whatever, um, they go out to developers that have made games before and say, hey, developer, can you make a Ratatouille game? They make an agreement, and then at that point, they have a bunch of milestones or um, set amounts of time where they have certain amounts of work that are supposed to get done. And so it was our job to make sure that that was happening across multiple SKUs and titles. So it would range from 
you know, PS3 and Xbox 360 to Nintendo DS to the plug and play games that you would see at Target or something that while you're waiting in line um, that were, you know, much smaller in scope. But uh, so we would we would do that. Um, and I was lucky enough to get that position and work there. And it was only a six month position. So uh, I knew this going in, um, but it was still it was still stressful because at the time, you know, I, I wanted to continue to be employed. I'd never been unemployed really since I could work. I'd started working when I was 16 and I continually worked throughout high school and throughout college. And so uh, the idea that I would be unemployed to me was uh, just unfathomable. Uh, so I, w- I was like, man, I need to get a job. And so I was on gamasutra.com looking at their, their jobs board. And um, somebody found me actually in Utah at a company called Sensory Sweep Studios. So Sensory Sweep Studios is or was a company that uh, did a lot of games very quickly and so and very cheaply. So their their sort of business model was that they would go to somebody like EA or or Capcom or Disney and they would do titles cheaper than everybody else and hopefully faster than everybody else so that they could continue to make products regularly. So when when they had hit me up, um I got an email from one of their producers and they had said, you know, hey, we're looking for game designers and you have some experience. Um, would you be interested in relocating to Utah? And so I, I, I was like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I don't want to be unemployed and I need to get some experience in the industry. And really, this is the only way that I'm going to do it because uh, I'm having trouble finding other jobs that are willing to take me because I'm, I have so little experience. So I thought, you know, it'd be good to get the game designer title on a resume. So uh, what the hell? I'll just go out and interview. Now, if if you haven't heard of Sensory Sweep Studios before, you can just hit Google Sensory Sweep Studios. And I'm sure something along the lines of Sensory Sweep layoffs or trouble or something like that will come up instantly. Um, this company was uh, not run in the most legal of ways. Uh, and I'll get into that in a minute, but uh, I get this email and they say, yeah, well, you know what? We, uh, we'll set something up. I had a phone interview, phone interview went great. Um, they then said, well, we want to, uh, we want to make an offer. We want to hire you. And, uh, when I said, whoa, uh, is it possible I could see the area? Cause I've, I've never been to Utah. I don't know what the company is like. I don't know what the people are like. I would love to meet everybody and I'm sure it would be beneficial for you guys to meet me. And they said, okay, we'll book a flight for you. So they booked a flight and the days were approaching where I was going to be leaving. And I asked, Oh, well, Hey, I don't have any information about hotel or transportation. Uh, what's the deal there? And they sent back an email that said, you will have to provide your own hotel and rental car. And if you take the job, we'll reimburse you. And if you don't, well, that will be your expense. Now, immediately, I probably should have said, thanks, I'm not interested anymore. (laughs) That would have been the rational thing to do. Um, But, you know, at the time, I thought to myself, nope, I I need to take this job. Like, this is is something that that I need to do and uh, get further in my career. So, let's do it. So, I, I fly out there. I meet everybody. Now, the company is 
something like 200 people working there, which is very impressive for an independent studio to have 200 people working there. Um, that's rare. And they, they had clients like EA and Capcom and, um, uh, at the time Midway, who's no longer around, but they had lots of different publishers. I thought, man, okay, this seems pretty good. If they're able to have 200 people, they've got AAA publishers backing them. Okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. And they said, uh, and the thing that kind of solidified it for me was uh, they had said, well, so we have the license for Smash TV. And uh, I may have told this story on on here before, but I'm going to continue to tell it anyway. So they had uh, Smash TV, which if you're not familiar, Smash TV was a game that was huge in the 80s and 90s. Uh, it was like a isometric shooter that was in the arcades that was very similar to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Running Man, if you've seen that movie. Um, just Google it and check it out if you haven't heard of it. Um, but I loved that IP, and I loved that uh, game when I was a kid. So I thought, man, it would be awesome to just be able to say that I've worked on that that IP. So I said, yeah, hell yeah, I want to work on this game. Uh, so I signed all the paperwork. They said okay all you need to do is just pay for your relocation and we'll reimburse you so um i packed up all my stuff uh, i got ready from where i was living in fullerton california and my wife needed to stay in california to finish school now she wasn't my wife at the time she was my fiance but uh she needed to stay here so uh, i basically packed up all my stuff uh went on a road trip with her and uh my mom they drove my truck and then I drove a moving truck that had all my stuff and we went to Utah and um so I I I dropped off all my stuff I went uh I went to the airport my wife and my mom basically got on a plane took off I was very bummed out because clearly my uh my then fiance was leaving on a plane and I wouldn't see her for months and months at a time so uh, I, I get into work the first day and they say, hey, great to have you. We're really excited. Um, here's the thing. We didn't get the license for Smash TV. And I thought, hmm, but you said that you had that license. Okay, well, uh, what did you get? And their response was, um, Major League eating the game. Now, I don't know about you, but Major League eating is not one of the things that I thought to myself, I want to make a video game out of that. Uh, and, you know, based on the sales of the game, I think there are a lot of people that agree with that sentiment. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that was the game that they got. There was uh, a publisher named Mastiff who had the the uh, IP for the video game to be made. Uh, they own the license. So they... Uh, they said, okay, we want you to make a game. So we made a game out of it that was not the best. Um, <laughs> it needed to be done in, in something like six months' time. And uh, it had to be done on proprietary software, which was not great. Um, for those of you out there who have developed in engines like Unreal or uh, Unity or Crytek or any of those things, those engines have you know decades now uh, or you know, or at least seven, eight, nine, ten years of stuff of work that has gone into them and making them better and teams that are gigantic. So those function really well and can do what you need to do 
Um, and this engine that we had, it was the opposite. It would break all the time. Things wouldn't work. Um, there would be problems in general with, you know, losing your work. <laughs> so maybe it wouldn't save and so you'd have to go back and do it again. And, um, it was, it was not fun to develop on. And, uh, the, uh, there's something I think there have been a few articles of people who write like why bad games exist. Um, there are a lot of very smart and talented people that that worked at Sensory Sweep Studios who now work at places like Blizzard or Bungie or, um, I mean, Disney Interactive at Avalanche. They work all over the place uh, for really great companies and they're great workers, but. Uh, when you have people that are saying, no, we need to make our own tools so that we can eventually lease these things out. It was kind of bad. Uh, so we had to make a game on a broken piece of software in less than six months. And, uh, the publishers at the time had asked that we make the game like a mix of Mario Kart, Dance Dance Revolution and Street Fighter Alpha. I'm just going to let that sink in for a minute while you think of what you can make a major league eating game out of all three of those games. They're very different games and that's what the publisher wanted. So a lot of times when you're working at a development studio and you are making games for a publisher, you are at sort of the, the will of what those publishers want. So they're paying you to make a product. So it is your job to make the product that they want. And so you have to make something that's very similar to that. A lot of times you have a lot of contention with people who want to make a game their way. And then the publisher will say, no, this is not what we want. And sometimes those publishers have made games for years and really know what they're talking about. And sometimes you have publishers that have not made games for years and fancy themselves game designers, uh, but they're not. And then they try to kind of force their bad ideas on, on your stuff. So if you're curious as to why bad games happen, it's a mix of things. It's a limited amount of time, uh, bad tools, uh, limited amount of money coming in for the project to have enough people to make the game and then also the people who are paying you to make the game their vision can kind of usher it in a bad direction so um i learned a lot from that experience though i learned um what not to do in a lot of situations and i learned a lot of some things to do as well and dealing with people and and different um ways and and kind of understanding that when you are being paid to make a project you are being paid to make somebody else's project not your own so this is it. we have a lot of indie developers on this show and a lot of those guys will talk about leaving their jobs because they feel that they don't get the creative freedom to make what they want to make um, because there are people above them that, that tell them this is the game that they want um so there's good and bad of that. You know, the good is ah, creative freedom. The bad of that is, you know, not, not any money coming in unless you can convince people to pay you money to make the game that you want to make. So I, I learned a lot from that experience. Um, a lot of very quality lessons, I think, in, in game development. So after that, I worked on as a camera designer on Tales of Despero, which was another very terrible game. Um, that one came out, I think, just on the Wii. We had made a SKU for the 360 and the Wii. And, yeah, both were really, really not good. Um, and only the Wii came out. That was by a publisher called Brash. Um, Brash Entertainment, if you look up their history as well, they got a decent amount of funding, and then they just kind of pulled out and didn't exist anymore. So um, 
that was another kind of weird thing that kind of popped up. So uh, we shipped Tales of Despero. I worked on a couple of other small DS titles. Um, and after that, we ran into the point of where we were running out of projects. Now, this is 2009. 2009 is around... 2008, 2009. So this is around when the financial crisis is really hitting hard. Um, this is when, uh, if you look at any sort of stories coming out of the games industry, there's a lot of layoffs happening. There's a lot of people that are really tight with their funding because they're, they're frightened over what's happening and they don't know if they should spend money or not. So there's a lot of companies that just kind of don't spend money. Midway closes down. Uh, they were one of our publishers as well. We were working on a title with them and they basically went under during that time as well. So, uh, basically we were losing all the funding and we had 200 people working at the studio. Now, normally what you do in a situation like this very early on is you start to look at how many people you have in the organization and you need to go, okay, well, we need to get rid of some of our staff. Unfortunately, we have to shrink our size if we want to survive. Um, now, this did not happen at Sensory Sweep Studios. Now, the reason that I think this didn't happen was there were a large amount of people that worked there that were actually related to the owner. Um, there was His kids were all producers. They had friends of friends that worked there or cousins or brothers or uncles. Or, and they, they just had, they had lots of people that were working there, and I think they didn't want to lay them off. And they didn't really lay off anybody else either. Um, so as a result of that... They had people, but they just didn't have the money to pay them. So they just didn't pay people for a long time. And sometimes you would, uh, they had certain people that would get like, here's $500 here or here's $300 here, but just wait it out because we're, we're going to get a new game title. And once we get that new game title, then, then we'll get used the, the money we owe you. Plus we'll, you know, we'll get you more money. So for a while I actually worked without getting paid uh, in an attempt to help them get new projects. And after a while, uh, I thought, you know, this, this just isn't worth it. Um, I'm in a state that is not my home state. I'm just kind of living off of almost nothing, um, and I'm going to have to file for unemployment. So basically, I laid myself off. Um, you know, I, I had asked them to just lay me off because... Uh, I was hoping for unemployment, and if you quit, I think you can't get unemployment. So they laid me off, basically, and um, and after that, I had to start looking for jobs elsewhere. Now, at the time in Utah, they had places um, that were not really hiring as well because they were obviously concerned with this financial crunch. So there was also a flood of people that left right at the same time. So there were people that had left a little bit earlier or left around that time. And so they would get jobs, but then other people that were also applying for those jobs couldn't get in because there was just this influx of people that was suddenly available. So, uh, that was crazy. Um, and I went, I, I took all my stuff. I moved back to California. Now, while I was moving back to California and all this fun stuff, uh, I'd found out apparently that the company was not paying taxes, um, they were withdrawing the money from people's checks, but they were not sending in 
the taxes, like so for Social Security and for state and federal, they were not sending, they were using that to pay people. So there's a huge, I mean, just Google it if you want to find out more information because it was just a, just a nightmare when it came to, you know, bad business and people running things in a way that should not have been run. Um, so it's an, just a nightmare. Just look up Sensory Sweep Studios and you'll find out all sorts of interesting information on the subject. So then I moved back to California. While there, I just started kind of looking around and talking with people and seeing what I could do. And eventually I landed at um, WayForward Technologies. So we've had a couple of people from WayForward on the show here. We've talked to Austin and Adam. Uh, and WayForward is responsible for a lot of the cool side-scroller games that have come out, like the remastered DuckTales. They, do, uh, they did Adventure Time. They've done... Um, I worked on Batman, the Brave and the Bold as a level designer. They had, uh, they were just really solid at doing side scrollers. That's that's their bread and butter. They know what they're doing with that stuff. So uh, they did Boynus Blob too. If you haven't played that, it's one of the most adorable games ever. Uh, so they did a lot of those. And um, at the time, I was playing a lot of Arkham Asylum, and they were talking to me, and I didn't know they had the Batman property. So in my interview, we talked a lot about. Um, side scrollers and what my favorite side scrollers were growing up. And, um, you know, I was a huge NES kid. So I, I played a lot of Mega Man two and super Mario brothers three and, uh, the Zelda games. And, you know, I, I had done a lot of the, that in my childhood. And, and actually to this day there, I was at somebody's house and they were doing a Nintendo party and I was able to beat the Mega Man two boss in one try the last one, the one that, or not the last one, the dragon one. Anyway, uh, I, so I love side scrollers. So, uh, we, we talked a lot and they had asked me, you know, what I liked about Batman games and what I didn't cause I was playing Arkham Asylum. And, uh, one of the things that they had asked, they said like, well, what do you think Batman games have done wrong in the past? Because there's been a lot of bad ones in this new Arkham Asylum game at the time, um, was really good. And my response was that they had tried to do too many things in Batman games before they, would have like a Batmobile mission and they would have a Batwing mission and then they would have the combat stuff where you fight and they weren't really capturing the essence of what it was to be Batman, um, which Arkham Asylum nailed, right? They had the detective mode and they had the, the brawling and then they had the sneaking around and those core three things they just did all the time and said, okay, we're just going to put this everywhere. And they, they kind of nailed that. Uh, so, you know, based off of those conversations, I, I ended up getting the job and that a lot of it was because I, um, I even got considered was because I knew somebody who knew them from Disney interactive. So luckily I had left on good rapport with people at Disney and they were able to say like, eh, frost isn't completely inept. And so I was able to kind of get in. So, uh, I worked there, um, and I worked on Batman, the brave and the bold. I had a great time. Uh, I love the development staff there. There's a lot of people that are very motivated and, um, very excited about the products that they work on and the types of games that they make. I mean, they, they're all side scroller nerds. They all play, yeah, they still play like Mega Man regularly. Um, and you know, I think they really kind of take it to the next level of, next gen but still keeping the the core values of what makes side scrollers fun so working there i got to learn a a bunch of cool stuff and i worked on uh the level design what that meant for uh batman the brave and the bold was they would say okay well at this point in the story batman and robin are 
hunting Catwoman through the rooftops of Gotham. So um, you need to come up with gameplay that kind of sells the story. There are these story points. You know, there's a point where you need to break through glass and then you find Catwoman stealing something and you need to set up a point where she knocks over a water tower and it, you know, you can run across that to the next area. So there were, there were certain points that you kind of had to hit and then everything else in between there was you coming up with fun gameplay. Um, and one of the things that I learned there, uh, through Adam Tierney, actually, who we've had on the show, he talked about, um, what is the story of your spawning for enemies? So when enemies come out of helicopters or if they burst out through windows or if they're coming through doors, it's much better than them just kind of standing there or them just kind of walking around having an an explanation or a reason for where these guys came from kind of helps with the immersion. So that was a big lesson for me. Um, I also uh, learned a lot about having, because we had some pretty cool controls and ability to move around a lot. Um, There was something that I noticed we were making, this is mostly a kid's game, Batman. So uh, we were trying to make something that was, fun for kids. So a lot of that was like breaking down walls and, um, having things to burst through all the time and making puzzles that were minimal at best, because I don't know if you guys have played the, the Lego games. They're great, but sometimes you have these puzzles that are even difficult for me to solve. And I'm an adult who's been playing video games for, I don't even know how many years, the college degree. And I'm like, wait, do I have to, oh, I have to switch to this guy. Oh, and I, then you have to do this coordinating that with kids it can be sometimes difficult so um we wanted to make stuff that wasn't too mind-numbingly hard and there weren't really a ton of puzzles really when it came down to it uh so that was something we had kind of learned not only kind of uh from playing games like that but also through play testing we would wb would set up these play tests where kids would run through and they would videotape it and you could watch them not do well <laughs> or or fail at it or, or get frustrated by it. Uh, and the goal on those games, I think was not to challenge them mentally. I think it was to have a good experience with, with a Batman character or blue beetle or Robin or whatever. So that was, uh, an interesting thing to learn as well, uh, for, for those kids, uh, or for games for kids anyway. So, uh, I'd worked there and, uh, after that product had shipped, um, they needed a producer on another one of the projects that they were working on and they didn't really need a designer. So they had said, you know, Hey, you know, you had some production experience over at Disney interactive. Do you want to do an AP position over here? And I said, sure. Um, but at that time I was also hearing about uh, a job in Aliso Viejo, California at a place called Carbine Studios. So, um, they also needed a producer, but they needed a design producer, an associate producer. So, um, my wife worked in Irvine and I worked in Valencia and we lived in Hollywood. And if you know geography of any kind and traffic, that's, uh, at least for Southern California, it's a nightmare. So we, we needed to find something that was more centralized so that we could you know, see each other and stuff and not spend a majority of our time driving. So, um, I, got the job at Carbine and we moved down to, uh, Southern Orange County and she worked in Irvine and I worked at Elisa Viejo. So, uh, I started the job there and 
you know, it was, uh, an interesting experience coming on because they had this team that was pretty good size. Um, and they had the start of the game. This was before Wildstar was really Wildstar. It was another game altogether. So they were working on something and it was visually awesome and it needed some work from the gameplay perspective. And this was something that, um, I think they were kind of pushing hard right when I got there and, and they were making some updates and changes. And so eventually through lots of discussions and arguments and things of that sort, we started kind of making progress. And really the, one of the core features for that was, was the combat. And, uh, if you've played Wildstar or seen Wildstar, it was, it's a big focus. It was a big focus for us at launch as, as well with the telegraph system and that sort of thing. So we had, uh, I'd started working there and a lot of what I had worked or learned through that was, you know, I, I was very focused on getting things done on time and I was very focused on trying to keep people in scope and, and that sort of thing. But one of the things that I had to learn at first, um, was that getting something done on time does not necessarily give you a good product. Um, and so just because you, Hey, like I put my stamp of approval, I'm done with this. Here you go. I did it on time. Let's go to the next thing. Um, needing to make sure that everybody agrees with, with what you've delivered as, as something that is of high quality was something that I learned very early on at carbine. Um, and I think producers in general, this is a very hard thing to, to kind of work through because you want to deliver a quality product, but you also want to deliver it on time. And sometimes that is, uh, hard to do for both. And so you, you kind of have to make this, uh, understanding with yourself and with the development team that what you're looking for is at X level of quality and figuring out the time that it takes to get to that level of quality should be part of your scheduling and figuring those things out. Um, but yeah, I, I learned that very early on when we, we did play tests and we would play through stuff and people were like, this isn't fun. And so we would kind of go like, well, just because we did it on time doesn't mean it's, it's a success. So we started going back through and uh, that was something I learned and kind of grew with and figured out with the design team over time. Um, another big thing that we learned was review was immensely uh, helpful and critical for making sure that there was a product that was good. Um, you know, a, a lot of times before people would just do their thing and then say, okay, I'm moving on to the next thing. Um, but you know, what, what we needed to do was really focus on finding, uh, the amount of time that was appropriate for a lead to go through, play through the content and say, yes, this is good. Um, or no, this isn't good. Here are the things that you need to do to fix it. And then having that iteration time put into your schedule so that you can continue to, to make that. Um, it's also good for the implementers, the people that are making this content because they eventually start to see, okay, this is what the leads like or don't like when I'm playing through this. So I need to make sure that the next time I make this, I don't make the same mistake. So understanding also that there is a deliverable and a deadline and, um, and trying to strive towards something that is good in that time is also good for kind of putting pressure on people to, you know, work actively towards a, a goal that is important. Um, hopefully that didn't sound too generic, but the idea there is effectively that you have to have something that is good and you have to review it. And if it's not good, you go back and you fix it and you have to adjust things as a result of that in the schedule. Um, later on down the line, if that means cutting things, if that means, you know, asking for more time, if that means asking for more people, it's, it's figuring those things out. While I was 
helping with that, uh, there was this point eventually where um, a few of the guys on the team were thinking we had this idea of, of doing a video series um, because we felt that there wasn't anything that was really grabbing people's attention about Wildstar yet. This is, I think, around 2012, maybe, um, where we were kind of thinking, you know, this game is pretty cool that we have and not a lot of people know about it. So we need to come up with a way that will help inform people that this game is cool and has personality and has this awesome gameplay. And so we were we were talking about it and there was an effects artist and an animator and a cinematic designer that were kind of thinking of this idea. And um, so we had kind of talked about it loosely and they said, you know, Frost, you do funny voices. You should you should read for this to see if, if it sounds good. So they effectively wrote this script and then um, I would look through the script and go, oh, can I say this here or can we change this to that? And they, they said, yeah, fine. So we read through it and um, after we had the initial script, we had um, the animator do a lot of the video capture. So he would go around through the game to kind of support the points that I was saying, you know, in the, in the text. And that eventually turned into uh, dev speak. So we made a dev speak and we showed it off internally and people loved it. It was, uh, at first people were kind of weird that we were just doing this as a, as a thing on the side. They were like, but you guys don't do marketing videos. You guys are game developers. You're an effects artist. You're an animator. You're a producer. You don't make videos. So we, after that, we we made one said, just let us do it. Come on. We're doing it our free time. So we made it. We showed it to people. People absolutely loved it. Um, They're like, this is hysterical. We need more of these. We need to put this out. So we released it and um, to a uh, pretty good reception. Uh, people seem to like it. I think the first video got a couple hundred thousand views and the comments for the most part were very positive on it. And I think a lot of people also just didn't know what Wildstar was or where it was going or any of that stuff. So um, we put it out, people loved it. And so at that point they had said, okay, well you guys need to make more. So um, <laughs> it was weird because we were, we were working our normal jobs and then we, we started doing these as well. So that, that took up a lot of time and eventually we started getting hires and things like that to make the, the videos regularly. So that was uh, pretty interesting and, and fun. And it's uh those are still some of the most fun that I've had in the game industry creating. Um, those were great. Uh, I still get along great with, uh, the guys that, that, uh, help create those things, uh, and talk to them pretty regularly. So, uh, yeah, the, the dev speaks were a blast and fun to do and definitely not part of my job per se, but they were definitely fun. So, uh, I worked there doing that. And the, the cool thing that I, I really liked about carbine was if you really had the gumption or the initiative to do something and you just did it and it was cool, they would usually just let you do it or add it in. Uh, hoverboards were like that. That was an animator and a uh, scripter who made one of those and put it in game and it's awesome. You know, It was one of their, the cooler features that was in the game and, and people loved it. So, uh, that was awesome. And it, it was just the, the combat was like that as well. There were a lot of people that were like, you know, we want to do some cool stuff. And they started putting things like dodge in and sprint in and, you know, uh, adding in the area of effects and all that stuff was, uh, a pretty cool environment in that regard. Um, 
but you also had to get your normal stuff done too. So it was, it was definitely a lot of work if you wanted to add something to it, but at least it was allowed. Uh, to that effect, I also started doing a lot more of the press stuff and talking with press and talking with people. And so I would help with on the, the design producer side, it would be my job to make sure that the combat team did their, uh, their stuff, hopefully in the, the correct amount of time. And if not, we needed to iterate on that. Um, we, you know, I worked with dungeons and raids and with the PVE content and the zone creation stuff, um, worked with the trade skills and, um, a few of the system stuff as well. Um, worked, worked a lot of, uh, different places, um, over that time. Um, because I'd been there for uh, over four years, I'd kind of worked on different things at different times to help those guys out. Uh, so that was interesting and unique and, and crazy. And there was a lot of stuff going on. I also, you know, maintained my Twitter account, which was blowing up during that whole time. And, you know, I, I tried, um, very hard to talk with nearly everybody. I looked at, there's a, a website called clout clout, uh, tells you how much like of a social media score you have. And it talks about how you interact with people and, and that sort of thing. And my clout score, I think was something like 93% of engagement. So that, that meant that I talked with a lot of people on, on Twitter. Um, and it's an interesting rabbit hole to get lost in because, uh, I would basically work all day and then come home and I would just be on Twitter the whole time talking with people. Cause they'd say, you know, I'm really interested in this. What's the deal there. And I'd link them to the right people to talk to. And, you know, we took a very big sort of, uh, jump into social media, I think on Wildstar, and talked to a lot of people and engaged a lot, um, for good and bad. Um, the, the good of it was, I think people were, were happy that devs were talking to them and, you know, even, even on negative stuff, they would say like, I freaking hate this thing. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. You feel that way. Why is that? And they'd be like, why did, what people respond to this is weird. Um, so the, that was a, a cool thing, I think. But, um, the downside of that was I was effectively working nonstop. I would, you know, be answering stuff at ridiculous times in the morning. And my wife would be like, why are you doing this? You just, you can't put down that phone. Um, and so it really did start to affect my sanity a little bit. You know, I was doing the live streams and I was doing the Twitter stuff and doing production stuff and dev speaks and, um, talking with press and going on different events and things. And so that became, that was just my existence was just working on the, on Wildstar was just all I did. Um, and eventually I think it started to take its toll because it was just, it was too much and I didn't give myself the breaks that I needed. Um, and so there, there became this point I think where I was just really exhausted and, and tired and, um, and I got to the point of where I dare say burnout, you know, where I was, I was just, I had worked so hard and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm burning myself out. So I need to kind of chill out a little bit. And, um, then I started talking with Amazon about a potential job. Uh, and I got a job over there working as a producer for them. And so, uh, you know, I had put in my two weeks, I had kind of quit on the the live stream, so to speak. 
um, which was which was very difficult because I really had put a lot of time and effort and energy and and love and um, you know a lot of muscle into that. And there are still a lot of people that I I call friends that work there and that I you know wouldn't be seeing as much. And so it was a bummer. But uh, but it was I needed that break because I was I had worked so hard and uh, you know I just. I needed the the separation a little bit from all the chaos that was kind of going on. So, um, I got the, the gig at Amazon. I had worked there for a little bit and uh, I can't really talk about stuff at Amazon, um, just because they haven't really debuted anything that they're, they're doing. But, um, you know, I could say it was, it was interesting working with everybody. And then <laughs> if, uh, I don't know, a few months in, I had gotten, uh, somebody had hit me up, uh, from blizzard and said you know we have a producer position on wow are you interested and uh it's it's very difficult to turn that down uh because blizzard is a company that uh clearly makes amazing products and i had heard nothing but great things about working there so uh i definitely took that interview and i talked to people and um i've been loving it so far i thoroughly enjoy it and you know i'm, I'm working on a team that is making an awesome game uh, so working on world of Warcraft has been a great experience for me so far. And, and hopefully we'll be continuing to work there for a long time to come. But a, a lot of, uh, I think where I was going with things was I wanted to just work on this job and, and probably not throw myself nearly as much as I did into, to Wildstar and dedicating myself to being there all the time, doing all the things and, you know, all that fun stuff. So, um, but it's been great so far. I really have been enjoying it thoroughly. Uh, and you know, just getting out of BlizzCon was, was amazing and talking with everybody there and, and doing that whole event was, was a total blast. Um, and seeing everybody's reaction to Demon Hunter was great. So yeah, that brings us up to where we are presently. Um, and we did it in about 45 minutes. So not bad. Hopefully that wasn't too painful. Um, and hopefully you got some interesting insight as to what happened, but throughout, uh, that whole experience, um, you know, I've learned a lot. I've been into different States. I've been into, I've been laid off. I've been, you know, uh, I've had to completely come back to, to another state broke, uh, and without a job. And, um, and, and honestly, I would do all of that again, if I had to, to be in the industry, I love making video games. Um, and it's, it's a lot of, uh, it was, it's, it's a lot of work to get there, but a lot of people, and I say this all the time on the show here, but a lot of people will come on, uh, or, or come up to me at, at shows like PAX or E3 or things like that. And they'll ask, how do you get into games? And, uh, you know, my response is you should just start at the very bottom and work your way up. It's a very simple thing. If you can get a job in QA, get a job in QA and do it. If you can job, get a job as a production assistant, do that. Um, however you can get in, do it. And the other question is, do you have it in you to move to another state completely to do this? Will you give up a lot of things in your life? Maybe you get paid less money. There are a lot of people I know that, uh, at, even at blizzard that are, that were pre-med or were studying to be lawyers and they gave it up to work at blizzard, you know? Um, you would have gotten paid a lot more money as a lawyer or a doctor than a game designer or, um, or the like. So the question is, uh, are you willing to take a pay cut to work at these places? Like I would have made more money as a restaurant server than 
than in QA probably. Um, but it's the investment, you know, are you, are you willing to invest in potentially doing this? And sometimes these stories don't always work out well, you know, going to sensory sweep studios. I know a lot of people that went there, worked in QA and then couldn't get another job after that. You know, it's like these things happen. It's, it's risky. Uh, it's difficult. Uh, Mike Donatelli, the product director on Wildstar, he always says it's, it's a gig. Video games are a gig. You know, you have to look at it like when it's there, it's cool, but it may not always be there. Um, and he's, he's not wrong. There, there are a lot of companies that, that aren't around that were around 10 years ago. So, uh, that's kind of the risk you, you have to take going into, into something like this. So yeah, there, there are a lot of people that come up and say, well, I've been in game design school before, so I should be a designer instantly. And that I, I don't agree with you. (laughs) I'm sorry to say you need to start at the very bottom and work your way up like everybody else. Even if you've gone to school, I have a degree in, uh, from an accredited university. And I knew that I needed to start out small as well. That's just how it works. Um, I think in general, people in college just tend to think like, Oh, I'll graduate and just get in immediately to somewhere and make pretty good money. That's unless you're a doctor or something, that's not really how it works. So even as a doctor, I'm sure I don't know if that's how it works, but, uh, yeah. So there's a lot, I think the interesting thing and I say this a lot too, is, uh, each of these stories I'm getting in is completely different. You know, talking with Greg Kasavin, um, he was saying that he worked at GameSpy for years or GameSpot for years. Um, and eventually got in as a associate producer on a, on a game. Um, and some people, they just up and start their own thing because they can do that. Um, so how you do it can change really, but I think working your way up from the bottom is the best way to do it and figuring that out. So hopefully that was, uh, not terrible for you to listen to. Hopefully it was, you found some interesting stuff out of that. Uh, and yeah, I think that's the show for today. Um, in the future, there's going to be people that I'm actually talking to, not just me, um, where I'm working on getting some dates right now for a few people that I'm really excited to talk to. Um, and so hopefully those will be coming through soon. But otherwise, thank you guys for listening to the show. If you want to hear more Game Dev Station, you can go to patreon.com backslash Frost, or you can check out podbean.com. Um, they have Game Devastation episodes up there, or you can go to iTunes and look for Game Devastation. Uh, please give us some ratings too on iTunes because I don't think, I think we have like one. So give us a five star or something, please. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. Adios. <laughs>